So, here we go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay, there's a famous quote by an unknown author that says, Only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victory. So tonight, I want to share my heart, <laughs> what the Lord has done in my marriage as I surrendered it to Him and turned my mess into, He turned my mess into a message and my test, the trials that I had into a, a testimony. And it was a learning process all the way, and I'm still learning today. And we're going to still learn today, <laughs> every day. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord God, and just thank you so much for all that you do in our lives and all the things that you do in our lives that uh, draw us closer to you and um, that would glorify you. And so I just lift up this time to you tonight and thank you for the testimony that you've given me and just pray that you would be glorified in all that I say tonight and um, that we would all have ears to just hear you speaking to each of us. Um, just that one thing that we need to hear tonight, Lord, and pray that we would apply it to our lives. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, I read and read and read and read after I wrote it, because Debbie said, don't read it. <laughs> okay, the title of my message is Learning to Love Your Husband. And there's really no step-by-step -step process of how to do that, because every marriage is different and every circumstance is different. But God's word is the same for every marriage in every circumstance. But first I have to ask you, why do we need to learn to love our husbands? When you met and you got married, didn't you just fall head over heels in love with him? You loved everything about him, his eyes, his lips, his face, his body, his, his um, attitude and his personality and his strengths and his touch. So you talked for hours and hours about everything and about nothing. Do you remember those days? So what happened? What changed? Who changed? And what can you do to get back that feeling of unending love? We all have deep needs and longings in our marriage and expect entirely too much out of our husbands when we're not willing to do what God asks us to do in his word. So do we even know what their needs and longings are? We know what our needs and longings are. And we're so concerned about um, fulfilling our, about our husband fulfilling our own needs that we don't, um, that we forget what God has, how God has designed marriage. In Genesis 2.18, it says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And, you know, with all the stress and pressures of today's women, uh, it's hard to think of helping anyone else, especially my husband. I view him as a mature um, 
Oh, I lost my place. <laughs> As a healthy, mature adult that can take care of himself, right? And so I tend to forget that he needs me to be there for him physically and emotionally and mentally. Or because of sin in his life, I feel he doesn't deserve my help, let alone my love and respect. We had both changed a lot. So let me explain. The year was 1993. We'd been married for almost 19 years with two teenage children, Michelle, 15, and Paul, 12. We owned a custom drapery workroom, and Jean was a supervisor in a large sheet metal manufacturing company. And on the surface, we looked good with a successful business and a Hawaii timeshare, and we were the average middle-class family who was just living life for whatever we could get and to please ourselves. Yet underneath it all, we struggled with depression from family death. My mom had passed away in November of 91, and Jean's dad passed in April of 92. And so at that point, we were just questioning mortality. We were not Christians at the time. We were fallen away Catholics. (laughs) And unknown to us, Our daughter had accepted the Lord in October of 1992. And she knew I was, at that time, I was searching and asked me to take her to Calvary Chapel to check it out. So we went in mid-January of 93, and it was like Satan knew that we were going to get saved that day because we got to the church, and the door was closed, the parking lot was full, and I just said, well, let's just try it again next week. So we went home, and the very next Sunday, what had happened was the time had changed, and they had changed the services to an earlier time, so when we got there, it was too late. And so the very next week, we came back, and both my son and I got saved that day. Gene was playing golf on Sundays with his buddies, so he thought I was becoming a fanatic because I was so excited about my new relationship with the Lord. But a month or so later, he gave up playing golf on Sundays to come to church with us as a family. And six months later, he accepted the Lord at a Wednesday night service that was taught by Greg Laurie. It was, he, Greg Laurie had come here to do a pre-Harvest Crusade rally before the Harvest Crusade in San Diego. And I asked Jean, I says, you've been coming on Sundays, but you haven't come on Wednesdays. And if you don't ever come again on a Wednesday night, would you please come this Wednesday night? I didn't tell him who was speaking. (laughs) And he came and God moved and he went forward and accepted the Lord. So exciting. (laughs) So now we were both excited and and growing together um, and stronger in the Lord. And then in March of 1994, our 16-year-old daughter informed us that she was pregnant. So my hopes and dreams were shattered for her, and Jean just reverted more into the bottle. So, um, but in September of 94, she delivered a beautiful, healthy baby girl that became the love of our life. She just got married. She turned 23. 
her. She'll be 23 in September, and she just got married. But that's a whole other story, and that's Michelle's testimony, our daughter's testimony. <laughs> so um, we continued to read and study the Bible, and could, I did, and could not get enough of it. And I really wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God. But, you know, it's difficult when you're living with an alcoholic. And even though Jean had accepted the Lord... He was still struggling with the alcoholism. And in 1995, we went to family camp. And while we were there, Jean had a seizure brought on by alcohol withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And it was then that the Lord gave me my life verse in Jeremiah 33.3. That says, call to me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So for the next nine years, while Jean was trying to quit drinking in his own strength, I continued to pray, crying out to God to change him. Because that was not the end of his alcoholism when he quit drinking and had the seizure. That only lasted for about six months. So, um, and I was going to church on Sundays. He was going to church on Sundays and listening to the messages. But on the days that he didn't go, and I heard a message that pertained to him, well, of course, I was sure to (laughs) share it with him when I got home. But the Lord spoke to me and told me to stop doing that, that it was not about him. It was about you. It was about me. Stop being his Holy Spirit. And although I was crying out to God to change Gene, I um, was hindering the work that God wanted to do in him. And so God started to show me the changes that needed to take place in my own heart. There was a lot of pride and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness All things that, of course, we can't see in ourselves. We only see that in other people. And what Gene was, unforgiveness for what Gene was doing to our lives. So how could I submit and respect him in the condition that he was in? Well, I couldn't with the condition that my own heart was in. So it was then that my prayer changed from change him, Lord, to change me, Lord, And sometimes change is really hard, especially in that case. But there is no other way to do it than to just decide that you're going to work it out. And I don't mean doing it in your own strength or your own willpower. I mean deciding that you're going to agree with God and his word and then doing what he tells you to do. Because we can read it, but if we don't do it, Nothing changes, right? So I started going to a married women's fellowship to surround myself with women that I could learn from who would pray for me and teach me and encourage me. And the study we did was called Loving Your Husband. (laughs) And it was filled with scriptures teaching me how to do just that, but I had to be willing So I I had no idea there was so many scriptures in the Bible that pertain to wives and how we are to love our husbands and submit to our husbands and all of those things. 
So uh, although I read the Bible every day, it just didn't sink in. It's like it doesn't really sink in until you live it, until you do it and apply it to your lives. So that was when I first read. See, I was still a baby Christian. I was only um, two, two years in the Lord. And, and so that was when I read and first began to live, 1 Peter 3.1. It says, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Hmm, submission. I had to look that up. <laughs> So submission is a voluntary selflessness to please God and obey his word. Let me repeat that. Submission is a voluntary selflessness to please God and obey his word. Submission is resisting the urge to control. Submission is giving up my right to be right. And sometimes we submit Outwardly, because we're just tired of fighting, but inwardly, we still do not submit. It's like the story of the little girl that was <laughs> standing up, and her dad told her, sit down, and she sat down, but she said she was still standing up on the inside, right? <laughs> and that's what we do. Sometimes we submit in order to manipulate and make him feel guilty for being so demanding, but the scripture tells us um, to submit to our own husbands, so it can't be standardized or compared to anybody, to you know, another couple from one to another. It's unique to each relationship. And it says, even if some do not obey the word, so my being submissive was not conditional on my husband's behavior. It was... And, and respecting him was a choice of my will. So my being submissive is not conditional on his behavior. And now I was accountable for my own actions because I knew what God's word had to say about it. And that's, that's like the breaking point, right? When you read it and you know God's speaking to you and it's just time to do it. <laughs> So I said, I loved my husband, but what did that even mean? Well, that was about the time we began to study 1 Corinthians 13 in our Married Women's Fellowship, and that's well known for being the love chapter of the Bible, and boy, was that an eye-opener and how far I fell short of um, loving God, loving my husband, and in how disobedient I was to God and his command to love. So I had to look up the definitions of each of those words that explained what love is. And I uh, encourage you all to do that when you're reading the word, to look up the words. We know what they mean. We know what patience is. We know what kindness is. We know what rudeness is. But to look them up and actually write down the definitions really brings out the meaning. <laughs> so love is patience. Patience is enduring pain or difficulty with calmness. Love is kind. 
kindness is being warm-hearted or showing sympathy and understanding. It does not envy. Envy is blind selfishness. Blind selfishness. It does not boast, which means to talk in a self-admiring way. It is not proud. That's a big check mark there. Pride is showing excessive self-esteem, thinking I am better than him. I'm holier than him because I read the word more than he does. I mean, those were my thoughts at that time in my marriage, and boy, did I have a lot to learn from the Lord at that time. It is not rude. Rudeness was my major. Rudeness is being ill-mannered or talking disrespectfully, rolling your eyes, whispering under your breath as you walk away, you know, it's standing up on the inside. (laughs) And uh, it is not self-seeking which means pursuing your own interests or doing whatever I want to do regardless of what he says. It is not easily angered. It means you are able to control your feelings of resentment or hostility. It keeps no records of wrongs. Another big check mark for me, and that means past hurts or sins. And that's a hard one because it's always there in the back of your mind, even if you think um, you've forgiven them, but it's about not continually bringing it up because it's always going to be on our mind. We can't forgive and forget like God does, like God does as far as the East is from the West. He forgives and forgets our sins, but we can't do that. It's always there in our minds, but we don't have to bring it up. We can choose to um, forget it. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Bears all things means to carry the weight of. Love believes all things. means to trust, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Love hopes all things. means expecting good to come. Just like when I prayed Jeremiah 33.3 that God said to call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So to have that hope that as I prayed, he was going to do a work. And love endures all things, which means it suffers patiently, waiting. Love never fails, It means it never gives up. God's love never fails, and it never ends. And he is our example of unending, unconditional love. Wow, now that's quite a list, huh? (laughs) Of what love is and is not. And so my tendency was to say, well, he's not loving me in those ways. But again, the Lord said to me, oh, I'm not speaking to him. About that, I'm speaking to you. And so I knew in an instant, you know, I told you the check marks I had, the rudeness, the pride. And so um, I knew instantly what I needed to work on and where God was, was asking me to make a change.
And so I just intentionally worked on those areas to communicate to God how much I loved him and to communicate to my husband how much I loved and cared for him. I didn't like what he was doing. I didn't like his sin. We don't like sin, but I loved him. And so I wanted to show him that regardless of his behavior, like First Peter says, that even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word would be won over by your conduct. So often we forget that we will each be accountable for our own behavior when we stand before God. So God began to give me promises for Jean to pray. And one of the prayers, one of the promises I began praying was uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And sometimes it was a real struggle to keep praying it and waiting on the Lord to answer. But I want you to know that for Jean and I, God answered every single word of that verse for us. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And out of your, take, I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. I will give you my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And now I realize that God not only answered that scripture in Jean, but he answered it in me too. So Jean began attending the drug and alcohol meetings at the church, and that was in 1997, and still struggled off and on with drinking. So in May of 2004, Jean finally came to the end of himself. Praise God. (laughs) He so wanted to rely on God's strength and not his own, because all this time he'd been trying to do it on his own, and he knew he couldn't do it. And he'd already been fired from two jobs. And now he was about to lose another good job. But the difference this time was, it was just God's timing. And his, Gene's desire to please God and totally submit his life to him. And his boss gave him an ultimatum and said, either get help or get out. But she didn't just say that to him. She went so far, she was a Christian, and she went so far as to find the help he needed, the rehab or whatever he needed to do, and then check the insurance to make sure it was covered by the insurance. So she bent over backwards for him, and it was that goodness that made all the difference. And uh, Romans... 2.4 says that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So Jean prayed and asked God to fill him with the Holy Spirit. But that's when the Lord spoke to him and said, I cannot fill you with my Holy Spirit when you're filled with alcohol. And so that was his breaking point. He just totally surrendered his will and prayed that God would be glorified in his life. So the Lord led him to various programs, along with the drug and alcohol ministry. He joined AA, and uh, he was going to meetings every night of the week. 
And we knew that for some, the Lord immediately takes that away. They're a drinker one day and next day, nothing. No desire, nothing. But for others, it's a daily walk of obedience to God's word to break the chains. And that's what it was for Gene. Then he began serving as, you know, as time went by and he grew stronger in the Lord and he was obedient to the word. Um, he became the, um, the prayer group leader in the drug and alcohol ministry. And so through all of his struggles in that, um, God gave him a compassionate heart for those still lost in their addiction. And I believe that that's the glorifying work that God has done in him to use him today to uh, help others that are still uh, struggling with that. And I remember he told me one day that Howard, Howard Anderson was the pastor at the time doing the drug and alcohol ministry. And, and uh, he told me that Howard told him, Gene told Howard, I'm struggling with it. And Howard says, no, you're not struggling. You're giving in. So that, too, was another uh, check for him. So over the years of seeking the Lord, God's been faithful to increase our faith and continually teach us how to be the kind of husband and wife that he desires us to be. And the Lord reminds us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. These were all scriptures that, that the Lord gave me through this journey. And, and our journey through the difficult time was 10 years, and it's easy to grow weary. But I'm saying, don't give up. If you give up, you'll never know. You never get to the end of what the Lord might do. And our timing is not God's timing. And in 2 Corinthians 3.14, he says, Our light affliction is but for a moment and is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, I would not consider 10 years of living with an alcoholic um, a momentary light affliction. Would you? <laughs> but God does. And as I look back, I'm telling you, I faintly remember the tears and the heartaches of that time in our marriage because I choose to forget them. Except now I'm bringing them up again. <laughs> oh my gosh. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Hatred seeks ways to cause trouble, but love looks for ways to forgive. Gene didn't need me to remind him of his failures. He needed me to forgive him. And there's so many scriptures that the Lord used to speak to me um, through that time, but there's not enough time to go through them all. <laughs> Search the Bible for yourselves, and, and when you come across a scripture, write it down, look up the words, pray it back to the Lord, pray it in, and do it. Do whatever God's asking you to do. 
God is good all the time, and he gives us so much hope and instruction through his word. So I gave you a card <laughs> with pro- five Proverbs on it. And this is the card I like to hand out to, to my married women <laughs> friends, and it's called The Constant Drip. And these are all the Proverbs that talk about a quarrelsome wife, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a quarrelsome wife. It's all quarrelsome. And if you notice, Proverbs 21.9, better to live on a corner of the rooftop than share a house with a quarrelsome wife, is repeated again, word for word, in Proverbs 25.24. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Those scriptures just speak volumes about how we are not to be. But then there's a cure. And the cure is Proverbs 21-23. She who guards her mouth and her tongue keeps herself from many troubles. And Ephesians 4-29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And that, you know, can be applied in any relationship, but more so in our marriage relationship. And Ephesians five fifteen through 17 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the, Lord, the will of the Lord. So, do you understand what the will of the Lord is in those scriptures? Mm-hmm. What is it? <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Awesome. <laughs> Amen. Your Amen. Guard your heart. Guard your tongue. All right. Yay. <laughs> Took me a long time to learn those. <laughs> this is a speed course in, in learning in learning those things. Okay, so in March of this year, we celebrated 43 years of marriage. Thank you. (laughs) And it's all because of what God had done in our lives. And we are happier now and more in love than we were on the day we were married. Because God is now the center of our marriage. So it's been 13 years now since Gene has completely surrendered his life to the Lord. And together, we truly do continue now to study the Word together and grow in in God's grace together. And we... um, uh, Our marriage is not perfect. (laughs) Like Debbie said, no marriage is perfect, right? But we've learned to work together and making choices that will strengthen our commitment to God and to each other. And so we learned that reading the Bible and praying together every single day makes a huge difference. I mean, even if you just start out small, if you don't do that now, start small and just ask your husband to pray for you or, or um, ask him if you can pray for him. But, but to read the Bible together and pray every single day makes a huge difference. And today, we serve the Lord together and separately 
in various ministries in the church. And now we're both fanatics for Jesus, <laughs> and life truly is good because God is good. But again, it's not perfect. We still have our times, but we just got to choose to give up our right to be right sometimes just to keep the peace, right? And so throughout this whole journey, I, I read every Christian book about marriage that I could get my hands on. <laughs> Okay, so the first one I read, sorry, I wasn't ready with this. The first one I read was a real um, easy little read. It's called, Why Should I Be the First to Change? by Nancy Missler. Okay, real easy little read. And uh, she says, uh, have, you, have you learned that living the Christian life is impossible in marriage? Is your marriage relationship all that you want it to be? Is it all that God wants it to be? Well, those two questions right there made me want to pick it up and read it. And so it's a story of their life, Chuck and Nancy Mistler, and, and how far they fell short of loving each other. And then she went on to write uh, more books and, and have a series called The Agape Way. And, uh, and, and it's all about unconditional love. So, yeah, it was great. It's a, uh, after 20 years of a Christian marriage, it, 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 they did what they needed to to turn their marriage around. So it's, Why Should I Be the First to Change? by Nancy Missler. Okay, and then um, the next one I read, oh my gosh. Well, it wasn't the next one because I read a whole bunch of them. Like, there's one uh, called The Fruit of Her Hands, I don't remember who the author is, but that's a very good one, too, because, you know, our marriage is the fruit of our own hands and what we do. And uh, so the next one I read was this doozy here. (laughs) And it's my absolute favorite, and I read it over and over. Look, I still have tabs. (laughs) Okay. So what's it like to be married to me? We know what it's like to be married to them, but what's it like to be married to me? So it's a real eye-opener, and it's uh, about knowing the difference between having a desire for a better marriage and setting the goal of of having a better marriage. And that's as we look in the mirror and see how we might change to do that. And so I uh, warn you, Don't pick it up and read it unless you're willing to change. (laughs) The author is Linda Dillow. (laughs) Okay, and I still refer to it. And so now this is the story where I got the story for the rubber band. Okay, it's your rubber band. Okay, so Will Bowen, a Lutheran pastor, wanted to help the people in his church improve their lives. He was convinced that thoughts held in mind produce after the kind. We know that if we talk about what's wrong, it affects what we focus on. And we start seeing other things we don't like. Our negativity expands. His hope was to help the people in his church eradicate complaining from their lives. And being a clever pastor, he devised a creative way to help them accomplish this. He gave his church a 21-day no-complaint 
challenge. Complete with a purple, we got a red one. I like red, it's hot, right? (laughs) To put on the bracelet and instructed them to move it from wrist to wrist every time a gripe escaped their lips. Well, in the marriage (laughs) women's fellowship I had, we started doing that, and one girl came back the month later and said, I was doing that, but my rubber band kept breaking. (laughs) So I got a new rubber band, and every time I complained, instead of changing it from wrist to wrist, I'd snap it. (laughs) Ow. (laughs) So... So, yeah, and so when I read about it, I told God I was willing to take the challenge and ask him to help me become more aware of what tempts me to gripe and to help me to stop complaining. Do you think you can live 21 days with no complaining, griping, murmuring, or nagging? If you think this is no big deal, let me give you the truth. The average person who takes the no complaint challenge needs four to eight months to string together 21 days of gripe free. Okay, so are you up for the challenge? Okay, I got the list. I got the list of your names. Oh, what page? Do you have the book? It's on page 59. (laughs) But I know you. (laughs) So that's page 59 of the book. (laughs) I love it, right? (laughs) Okay. And so, you know, and I got a little bit ahead of myself because I was telling you I gave that to my challenge to my married women. Well, after I read that book, the Lord had given me now a married women's fellowship to lead. And this was um, 10 years, yeah, it was 10 years after I I had gone to my first married women's. Fellowship. So 10 years later now, he gave me a married women's fellowship to lead. And so um, we're finishing a study right now. We meet once a month. And the name of the study is called His Word for Wives. And it was written by Bonnie Botsford. She's the pastor's wife of uh, Horizon. Horizon. Bob Botsford, yes. Okay. And so there's three things that I learned. See, I'm constantly learning. I didn't, I I learned most all of that before, and now I'm still learning and still um, um, applying all of these things to my marriage. I wish I'd learned them a lot sooner. And and so I'm giving them to you now, so so you'll know them. (laughs) But um, I learned them over the years, over many years. So these are the ABCs of marriage, and I think those are on your handout. So the first one is that it's about Jesus. It's not about him, my husband. It's about him, Jesus. It's all about Jesus, for Jesus, in obedience to Jesus. We are to live and do everything as unto the Lord. And Colossians 3.17 says, 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then number two is to be on guard. Know who the enemy truly is and be aware that he's coming after your marriage and resist him. We often forget that. We just think it's him, but it's not. It's Satan. And 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone in what you're going through. And number three is to Commit to faithfully pray for your husband every single day, more than once a day if necessary, whenever he's on your mind, which should be most of the time. Pray for him when he's at home, at work, with his friends, and be specific. Pray specific scriptures that you think would apply to him. And... Um, that's Colossians 4.2. It says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So along with the study was a note card that was written by Bob Botsford with the statements on it called, Be the One. That intrigued me. And it, and it inspired me to make my own list of statements that I want uh, to encourage you to do the same thing as it applies to loving and serving your husbands. And some of these in the list, that should be on your handout too, were um, Bob's list, and some of them were some that I added myself. And I encourage you to add your own to it too, as the Lord leads you. So be the one who believes love is a choice, not a feeling. Be the one who loves unconditionally, in spite of the circumstances. Be the one that is understanding and not demanding. Be the one who lives in a world that does not revolve around you. Be the one who submits, respects, and responds in love. Be the one who sacrifices what you want for what he wants. Be the one who laughs easily. Be the one who forgives completely. Be the one who gives graciously. Be the one who lets go and lets God. And finally, be the one who lives to live and loves to love like Jesus did. So I have one final scripture for you. And that's in Ephesians 4, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, which is God's power, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that power is in us to be able to do what God asks us to do. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. All right. So, let's pray.
Do you have any questions? Does anybody have any questions? Genesis 2, 18. Ephesians 4, 20 through 21 was the last one. No questions? You guys got it all down? Perfect. How do you um, how do you encourage your husband to, to not like say, oh well, which I fail on a lot of times, you know, he starts his day and, and like I've already kind of like I wake up a little bit and he does a shower and gets on the computer and I I, I say my prayers and stuff, and I notice that, you know, he, he's, I encourage him to pray, but sometimes he, he's just kind of real quiet and stuff, and, and um, we don't pray together really well. We, we do, you know, we, we say, you know, grace and stuff, and a lot of times it's me who leads, and I hear people tell me that, you know, you're, you should let your husband lead, but sometimes he doesn't. So how do I encourage him to, without sounding like this, you know, this, why drip is an actor, you know. Uh-huh. So you need to pray or you're not going to have a good day, or, you know, like mm-hmm. without just wanting to lead him and, and just say, you know, um, maybe we should just pray together, you know, without just. Well, when you pray and, and you lead when you're praying together, do you intimidate him by what you pray? Or by how you pray, or by how long you pray, or yeah, I hope not. I always worry about whether I can pray too much because then I just feel that you know, because he, he prays really, really brief and quick, and so and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I just I always want to make sure that I don't ever make him feel you know insecure about. Yeah. Him. So so if you're conscious of that, then I would say just you know cut your prayers shorter, make them more uh, to the point, and and uh, short and sweet. You know, God knows your heart and God knows his heart and we don't need, he says in his word, we don't need long, you know, drawn out prayers. And encouraging him to, how do I suggest that we pray more together? We don't really pray, like say, wake up in the morning and like, okay, let's sit down and have a prayer. Yeah, if, you know. Yeah, I I want to do that, but I don't want, you know, I don't want him to feel bad or break. Well, we don't pray together in the morning because we're not up together in the morning. He, I, he gets up, says his prayers, go, and then he's off to work, and I get up right before he leaves to go to work. We kiss goodbye, and, you know, and then I say my prayers. But at night, when, before we go to bed, we pray and thank the Lord for our day and, yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to pray morning, noon, and night, or, you know, any specific number of times or anything like that, but at least before you go to bed, you know. Okay, anybody else? Okay, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say one thing to Nana. Mark and I have that issue, too, and oftentimes um, we'll, we'll switch back and forth, but, you know, and I sometimes they say, would you leave today, you know, so it kind of go back and forth, and that encourages him, and then same what, what you mentioned about do your prayers intimidate him. I think women tend to be more wordy and mm-hmm. able mm-hmm. to bring scripture, and if they're not in the word, they're not bringing scripture. Mark gets intimidated by that, too, or if we're in a big group and everybody's praying. He, you know, he prays on his own, but he want, he, he gets nervous in front of people, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to feel 
lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's pridefulness, but still it's real. And so I think that's important, you know, to be so sensitive to that. And then I'll just, I, a good girlfriend of mine uh, told me before he takes off to work, we don't pray in the morning together either because he's too busy and distracted, it wouldn't work, you know. But I like the idea about praying at night when you're more relaxed before, you can mm-hmm. just lay in a bed going, let's, let's give thanks for what was good today, mm-hmm. you know. And then she mentioned, <clears throat> to give him a little post-it every day when he takes off for work and just say, would you please pray for me about this today when you think about it? Oh, I like that. And then he can just do mm-hmm. it on his own when he's driving or whatever. And it's amazing how that works. That's a great little tool we have found. Because mm-hmm. so, we have that issue as well. Okay, good. Don? My husband and I had the same issue too. Where I was, you know, I'm trying to nag him into doing what I think he should be doing. It's just all the back way and they don't respond to that at all no it only creates more um i was just saying that you know i had the same issue with my husband and so i tried to nag him or tell him you should you should pray him a little i tried not to do that but i it still came out that way no matter how, how hard i tried but <clears throat> finally we agreed that we would pray before we left in the morning for a lot of reasons but certainly, you never knew what was going to happen all day long. And I started saying, could you pray for me today? And he said, okay, let's, let's pray before we go. So we got into a little wow. habit. It's pretty short, and, and he always prays first. But we, we've talked a little bit about what our day's like today. You know, so he'll you know, ask the Lord to help me with my work that day, yada, yada. It's very, very short. Mm-hmm. But it has become a real um, cornerstone. Like, we have six grandkids now, so the grandkids are over. They want to be in the middle of that prayer circle. Well, they do. They have like, yeah. They, the last time, we, it was a Saturday. It wasn't even a Monday through Friday, right? And the little one said, "Are you going to pray? Can I?" I mean, it, just that little, that little bitty thing of joining hands in the morning. It isn't a big deal to us now, but it was a concerted effort, and it was me, not nagging him, but asking him to pray for me today, mm-hmm. and him, you know, saying it repeatedly in a gentle, with a gentle, sweet spirit mm-hmm. instead of it. You understand the difference. Like I, right. I discovered a way to go around the issue instead of saying, I wish you would do this. Why not just say, it feels so good when you pray for me. I feel like my day is going to be better with you at my side. You find Sweet. a way to say it in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you build on that. I'm, I have learned the power of just <clears throat> complimenting him for every mm-hmm. big and little Thing that he makes an effort and has built up a more spiritual person because I'm not nagging him. I'm, I'm showing. It's the law of kindness on your lips. Yeah, I love it. How much you get from a husband when you? Yeah. So you know, if you say, I mean, I, I could not work as hard as he works physically. I'm not able to do it. And so if, he, if I said that to him, honey, I, you really work so hard, and I don't tell you enough. It's the kindest little thing to say at the end yes. of the day. I, it makes a huge difference. Right. Them. It really does. And you're speaking next week on. I am, and conflict, conflict in yeah. marriage. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had a lot of it, so there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, any other questions? No? I guess we can pray. And, oh, did I was you have just wondering, has anybody um, experienced the opposite where the man is, like, really, like, the leader and just... <clears throat> 
um, like when me and my husband got married, he knew way more about the Bible than me. He should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's supposed no, to be the spiritual leader. <laughs> but like a lot of times I find it reversed, like with my mom. And my mom is like the leader, and she like led our family like to church. Even though he went to church, she would like she would like drag him to church. <laughs> so I experienced the opposite. So sometimes it's like hard for me to feel like I don't know. I feel like did, does anybody experience the opposite? <laughs> so he's too strong. Yeah, he's very very strong, and I'm just like you know like mm. there like not. Like, I don't have to encourage him to pray. He already is way, you know. So then I, so I try to find people that are, yeah, so I, I feel like. He's still intimidated. You are, yeah, but you're so blessed. Oh, my gosh. You're not alone. I'm same way. Um, my husband's the one that came to the Lord first, and he's the one that, like, started pushing me and, encourages me and I'm like the one that's intimidated and oh. I'm the quiet one yes I, you're not alone yes well then I, I think you don't understand you don't understand or you're not as far as they are along so like we tried to pray together but well, I, I think in, in that case, I would say, teach me, teach me, honey. You know, I want to, I want to be there. I want to be there right there with you, you know? Yeah, you could be open and honest and say, I feel kind of intimidated. I feel like I'm not praying as well or just whatever it is. If you'll have a soft and compassionate yeah. heart for that and have patience with me. Maybe ask it that way. Yeah, you know, because that's a hard place to be. Oh, I think he. I think they'd love it. He'd love it if you said, "Can you teach me?" You know, what what does that mean? And and you know, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. And he will slow down for you. Yeah, I I believe so. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Okay. Well, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord God, and we just thank you so much for tonight and all that we've learned. And we just pray, Lord, that um, you would just give us sensitivity to our husband's needs and help us to not hinder the work that you're trying to do in their lives, Lord. And uh, we ask just for open and willing hearts to apply what we've learned and to... um, to listen to you when you're speaking to us through your word and to understand what your will is for each of us. And we just ask that you would help us to be submissive and loving and respectful uh, to our husbands and to be the helpers that you've designed us to be, Lord. And uh, I just thank you for all these women and I just pray a blessing over each and every one of their marriages. For those that are strong, I pray that you would just strengthen them even more, use them in the lives of others that might not have such a strong marriage to build them up and encourage them, Lord. And for those who have weaker marriages, Lord, I pray for them that you would strengthen them 
by your power, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that works in us, Lord. I pray for that uh, kind of um, power working in their lives and in their marriages, and that you would um, be the center cord of that three-cord strand that is not easily broken. We just love you, Lord, and look forward to all that you're going to do in and through our lives. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.